Atheist Nomads, episode 385, Methodist Schism Begins. The podcast you're about to listen to includes cursing and talking about hoo-hahs. Please be advised. Welcome to another episode of Atheist Nomads. I am Dustin, and joining me is Lauren. Hello. And uh, today, yeah, we, we do have one announcement before we jump into it, and that is... Our War on Christmas live stream is December 20. That's this coming Sunday at 2 o'clock Mountain Time, 2 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time. If you show up at 2 o'clock a.m. <laughs> Mountain Time, uh, yeah, there's nothing happening. Serves you right. Yeah. Um, you can find it at atheistnomads.com slash live. Uh, it will also be posted onto Patreon, and I'll probably send it out on Facebook on tw- and Twitter. Um, and if you sus- are subscribed to the YouTube channel, you'll probably see it there. But atheistnomads.com slash live is the best, most reliable way to get it. Yeah. And uh, you can leave feedback or messages for us to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe like a holiday s- greetings to a loved one we can read for you. I know some, some radio stations do that. We can do that for you. We, we do could. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's the war on Christmas. It's really the war on 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 Christmas. Yes. Which has largely died since Bill O'Reilly left Fox News in shame. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of grasping at straws to find stories. If you've got good ones, please send them to me pronto. Yeah, we need those rural town stories about uh, nativity scenes. and Like, I've got one that's kind of... Sp- just sweet adapting to christmas and the pandemic and then there's one that's wisconsin and meat and like there's there's gotta be more out there the war on christmas covid edition yeah anyway it'll be good uh i will find stuff don't worry um i have never failed thus far i mean you have they've been short episodes I've never failed at finding stuff for war on Christmas, even when it was jokes about intercapital uh, congressional office staff jokes. I think that was last year. Yeah. Inter-office Oh, that's capital, right. Yeah. Because I was grasping at straws then, too. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, all right. So for Dustin Off the Degree, we are going to talk about Hanukkah. Hanukkah. It would have been better to have done this last week. Since the last During week's Hanukkah, ep- no, not no, well, no. Beginning of last week's episode, what it was released on the day of the first night of Hanukkah. Okay, so it would have technically been released outside of Hanukkah. Okay, since Hanukkah starts at sundown. Okay, um, this episode is released on the day before the last day of Hanukkah. Okay, so um, as a couple of atheists raised in a very white Christian. Uh, region, let's let's really uh, dig ourselves into a hole here and talk about Hanukkah. I'm going to focus on the history. Okay, <laughs> thank God. Yes, <laughs> uh, uh, this is opening us up to a whole lot of mispronunciation yes. and misunderstanding. Uh, uh, Becky, if you're listening, please call us out on anything. Becky, if you're listening, why aren't you here? <laughs> oh, that's a call out. There wasn't an invite. Yes, but yes, I did try to get a token Jew to talk about Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did just say that. <laughs> and our our other token Jew doesn't really do our show, so she has really good reasons to She has very good professional reasons to not private yes. talk about it. Um so she should be able to talk about her religion though. I mean they can't Yeah. She's not even no, she's not even her religion, it's her uh it, uh ancestral Her dad's religion which which makes her per the rules of the religion, not a part of the religion. Yeah. Eternal. Yeah. Sorry, sidetrack big time. Yes. 
So Hanukkah is, and, and okay, so from my, my areas of, of academic expertise, um, which, okay, 15 years after college, does it really still count? You know how to I, research. I don't know. But anyway, with a theology degree and, and history minor, I, yeah, focusing on the history is the, and theology are my favorite parts. When it comes to non-Christian religions, the history is my favorite part. So with Hanukkah, um, it is it is a really fascinating one from a historical perspective because the story that is being generally commemorated by the holiday is a well-documented, definitely happened event in history. Okay, so it's the celebration of something that's real? The overarching major story is something that definitely did happen in history. It is one of the best-supported historical events commemorated by a religion as a holiday. So it's more legitimate than Christmas. Definitely. (laughs) The details of Hanukkah are about as good as any other religious holiday. So made up. 600 years after the fact? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay then. This is a story that starts with the Persian Empire. Even though some of it is a, its link to that is probably a much later addition to the story. Um, but the Persian Empire decided to allow the Jews to return to Judea and rebuild the temple. The Persian Empire's general policy was having the favor of gods is a good thing. So if you can have if you can encourage people to worship their gods, they will be more likely to offer sacrifices on behalf of the emperor. Makes you look good. And they will both be happier with you. And if their gods can help you, their gods will be more likely to help you if you are helping their people worship. <laughs> yeah, them. you know, just roll, just loading the dice a little bit. Right. So the second temple, as it is referred to as the rebuilding of Solomon's temple, even though there was probably never a Solomon. Uh, But the second temple uh, was built during the rule of the Persian Empire. Persia had great success in conquering every land they tried to conquer except for Greece. They were never able to more than subjugate Greece, like make them them pay uh, tribute, but never able to actually bring them under their rule. One Greek, uh, Philip of, of Macedonia, managed to use that hatred of the Persians to conquer Greece. And then he was murdered by his son who then destroyed the Persian Empire. Dad didn't go far enough, huh? Dad didn't go hardly anywhere. All he did was take over a couple islands and peninsulas. Alexander conquered the world. And by the world, we are talking from Greece to the Indus River and to all the way down to the Upper Nile. That is a very large stretch of land for any ancient empire. And as we all know, his empire did not survive him. So after his death at the age of 32 with an infant so son, young. so young, his generals carved up his empire and the top four generals each took a chunk of the empire. The final final two dynasties descended from Alexander's generals were the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. The Seleucids, probably better way for everybody to think of it, the Syrians, they ruled out of Damascus. They started out ruling everything from the middle of modern-day Turkey to the Indus River and down to Palestine. Um, by the time we get to the Maccabean story, um, they were shrunk way, way down to basically modern-day Syria and Israel. That was about all they had left. 
The Ptolemies were just down in Egypt and they fought a lot. That's the PT one, right? Yeah, I remember that. And as they were fighting, they would fight over and occasionally swap control over Judea, which if you have two kingdoms fighting over your territory, you will suffer. (laughs) Nobody wins. You will suffer greatly. Well, as the Seleucid Empire was dying, and it was dying horribly, like they were weak, their economy was failing, their non-Greek subjects hated them, their, and they had more powerful empires around them pressing on them. The, the Parthians in Persia and the Romans moving closer and closer in. And they did what often happens when countries start failing. They appealed to orthodoxy. The decision was that all subjects of the Seleucid Empire must be good Hellenists. Okay. That means good Hellenistic people. They need to be good Greeks. They have to make sacrifices in honor of the king. They should be speaking Greek and they should be making sacrifices to the gods. Okay. And any, you know, monotheism was a really weird concept to anybody at that time. It probably would have also been a weird concept to any Jew at that time. Um, They were more likely henotheists where they just worshipped one of the many gods. Um, But to worship- That makes more sense to me anyway. But to worship any of the other gods would have been horrific. And the other- Nationalism. Yay. Big Hellenistic push that the, the Seleucids did was pork. Ah. Everybody had to eat pork and they had to include pigs in their sacrifices. To Jews, that was anathema. When the Jewish high priest refused to take part, the authorities took over the temple. Were they all like- no, they have the intelligence of a three-year-old. I'm making fun of vegans. Uh, no, or no. Vegetarians. No. no, nothing like that. No, I they, they, they just, I know. That's... They took over the temple and they started making sacrifices. Um, this is referred to as the, um, the abomination of desecration, I believe. Uh, it was a big bad deal to the Jews. That sounds terrible. Yeah, like the ultimate abomination. Pigs being sacrificed to foreign gods in their temple. Yeah, that's pretty insulting. So they were pissed. So a family of priests, the Maccabees, beat their plowshares into swords. Not really. They, they got a hold of a bunch of swords and they killed the Seleucids and took over the temple and regained their, and got, gained independence, creating the Maccabean kingdom. Uh, one way of looking at this is God ha- was on their side and allowed them to win. The other is the Seleucid Empire could barely afford an army at all. And couldn't afford to put down a rebellion on their southern border while trying to fight off an empire on their eastern border. Yeah, you'd think that the last thing they'd do is go around and start inciting violence. They thought it would bring order and cultural... Law and order? (laughs) Yeah, basically, yeah. They thought that was the secret to law and order. (laughs) Dun-dun. It obviously didn't work, and so in the... Did you get my my TV show reference there? That was good. That was good. Uh, but but with the, the, the original uh, story from, from First Maccabees, when they cleared the temple, they tore down the altar because it had been desecrated. Right. And piled up the stones to wait for a prophet to come and tell them what to do with them. Okay. They took new unhewn- That's proactive. <laughs> yeah. They took new unhewn stones, 
set those up, built a new altar, and made pure sacrifices on the altar and lit it with incense and the fires on the altar. And, you know, they put up the, the tapestries and they rededicated, rededicated and repurified the temple. Okay. A process taking eight days. Okay. Hanukkah is eight days long. Yes, I, I kind of figured that that was maybe connected, since that was the point of this talk was yes. Hanukkah. Second Maccabees, since you had, there had to be two books, starts off with a retelling of First Maccabees. Oh, I hate that. Which includes a new detail about why was it eight days and why did they pick the day to start that they did? And the answer from Second Maccabees is that when Nehemiah was building the temple, there was fire that had been preserved from the old temple, Solomon's temple, that somebody had saved in a cistern. And you know, that's impressive. 70 years later, they needed to come back and get the old fire to use. And when we're they- talking like, like a continuing flame right that's what they were hoping to find and then what they found was the fire was gone but there was this crazy oil and so they took the oil all the oil they could get out of the the cistern and they threw it on the sacrifice on the altar when they got the altar built and the clouds cleared and the sun shone down and it burst into flame and so they threw this oil and everything else and it all burst into flame and the flames lasted for eight days. That's usually the opposite of what you want to have happen. <laughs> yeah. You Oil. build a new temple and you set it ablaze. A, a but magical blaze. Oil fires, man. Those are nasty. Magical oil fires. Yeah, okay. Magical oil fires. So that's the version of it you have from 2nd Maccabees. Probably 40 or 50 years after 1st Maccabees. Um, it's that, yeah, it's eight days because that's how long the oil lasted. Uh, that one also brought in also a little bit of an explanation of it involved because of the timing of completing the building of the temple that they needed to move the date of the Feast of Booths, which is eight days long. Um, that is a, a feast where Jewish people build tents in their on their balconies or in their yards and go and live in tents for eight days. Okay. Well, that sounds that sounds awful. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, yeah. So this that's the version at that point. Okay. Later, after the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. I'm seeing the uh, the scene from Futurama. Yeah. Where civilization is rebuilt and then torn right. down. Uh, Aliens. By the time you're getting into rabbinic, uh, full-on diaspora Judaism. That's a lot of words I do not know. It's the Judaism of the rabbis, not the priests. Okay. Because the temple's been destroyed. Okay. And the diaspora because they have been driven out of Jerusalem and Israel under threat of death under the Roman Empire. Okay, thank you. Because of the Bar, Bar Kokhba re- revolts. Okay. So about 600 years after the Maccabean revolt, so we're talking around the year 400 or so, um, a rabbi was writing about Hanukkah and said that when the Maccabees were clearing the temple, they found all of the vials of, of oil that were, because they needed to set it, light, light some candles, but they needed oil for it. And they're looking for the the oil they can use, and almost all of it had been desecrated by the Greeks. They found one unopened vial from the high priest. It still had his seal, and so, but it was only enough for one day. And when they reopened that, it lasted for eight days, 
is the amount of time they needed to be able to press new olive oil and make it ready for lighting candles. So this was, okay, So the, and this is what I grew up hearing. This is what became The one thing of oil Hanukkah. lasted eight days, which was yes. a miracle, but I never heard anything about the re- revolt and the yeah. eight-day um, burning of the... Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, like... The- and this was just a priest later or a rabbi later rewriting what had happened either and it, getting the details different. Either there was a oral tradition that had been passed down or more likely details being created whole cloth. Mm-hmm. That it was an adaptation of the, because there, there was a, there's definitely a, at that time period, a rabbinical um, tradition of taking liturgical license. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where you you take the message and you make a story out of it. Nobody expects the stories actually true. Nobody's thinking of it like that, but it adds meaning and value by creating a more full narrative. And you could easily look at it as that rabbi did that to the story from Second Maccabees, which had done that from the story from First Maccabees. Okay. And they just kept adding stuff, and they you know it, they added in oil, and but then you needed to actually tie the oil from the two events together and make it all into one nice, happy thing and put a bow on it in a way that people can commemorate to honor the Second Temple from their homes in Russia. Okay. Oh. Or Spain. Wherever they or were driven wherever to. wherever they were at. Hence the home menorah. Yeah. Okay. So you have it in the home. There's the one candle in the middle that is used to light the other candles. Um, one candle for each day. This was a very minor thing until the 19th century when liberal and secular Jews started using Hanukkah as their kids' alternative to Christmas that their Chris- their Christian friends would be celebrating. Okay. Since it falls in late November or December, it's it close enough. Absolutely devastating to uh, be a little Jewish kid in a very Christian community being made fun mm-hmm. of for not not getting presents because you don't believe in Santa. So then you bring in which has nothing eight to do with presents. Christmas. Yeah. So then you bring in eight nights of presents. So modern Hanukkah is as new as modern Christmas is. It's just on a di- it's just longer and on a different at a di- slightly different time. Okay. Uh, then there was the addition in the 1970s of some Hasidic Jews trying to evangelize <laughs> Hanukkah. By doing large public menorahs, like happened in downtown Boise, and like we saw in Playa del Carmen on our honeymoon, and you major, could, uh, I think just about any major city will have a big menorah any, somewhere in town. At this point, any city with conservative or Hasidic Jews in the world will have that, and it ends up just being this giant, giant menorah. I like, I like the one in Boise. It's pretty cool looking. Yeah. I've been down to it. I got a free dreidel. Yeah, oh, nice. Um, so yeah, that's the 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 Hanukkah story uh, on the the history. Very nice. Uh, the more you know, ding. I'll just keep gambling with my dreidel. So in news, I was so excited to get to cover a active modern day current schism. <laughs> Love that word. And then this little thing called COVID had to get in the way. Damn it. The United Methodist Church was supposed to be torn asunder this summer, but they couldn't hold the meeting to get their holy divorce because of COVID restrictions and trying to be safe and not being assholes. Because Methodists, 
tend not to be assholes about it. <laughs> They'll be passive aggressive as all hell, but they won't be yeah. straight out ass assholes. Well, one group of Methodists got impatient with this. And so they held Zoom meetings to create the Liberation Methodist Connection. Wow. Connection spelled C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N. Oh, wow. You can hear my eyes rolling on that one. <laughs> But hey, they're actually like the good guys in this story. So, so, so. this under the, this plan, because the, the original idea was the split was going to be over ordaining LGBTQ ministers and doing same sex marriage. The churches who were cool with gay people were going to keep most of the money, and the churches who were not cool with gay people, um, we're going to be getting some financial support from the rich white churches that were cool with gay people. As a general rule of thumb, the not white churches, the not American churches, and the conservative white American churches would have been in the anti-gay group, and the pro-gay group would have been your white liberal Methodists. This is the super liberal, mostly white Methodists. Um, the, really manazing it up there. Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if after the split's done, they end up merging back in. Uh, but we'll see. Um, because their, their, their concept is that they are not, and, and by calling them a denomination, it's 40 people at oh. this point. Aww. It's 40 Methodists who were tired of waiting and wanted to be able to have a gay affirming church. Aww. Online Zoom church. So the, 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 their, their idea is that what they want to embrace, quote, full participation of all who are living out their God-given identities and expressions. So this includes people of all gender expressions and sexual identities, races and ethnicities, mental and physical abilities, sizes and ages. Um, they're also saying that theology is not written in stone and are trying to tie in Methodist theology with liberation theology from Latin American Roman Catholics. Liberation theology is also something that got stolen by evangelicals to create the prosperity gospel. It's one of those like any framework that can go multiple directions mm. and is one that would be well worthy of a dusting off the degree. Um, Write it down. But this Liberation Methodist Connection um, believes that correct doctrine is less important than correct action, and that being kind and loving to people is more important than believing the right thing. That's the exact opposite of a bunch of Christians, but I like it. Uh, if Let me just put it this way. If all Christians were liberal Christians, we would not have a podcast. <laughs> We'd all be buddies. Right. If they were all like the Church of Christ on Rose Hill with the pride flag, nobody would care how many gods you, you worship, if any. Yeah. Everybody would just be fine and cool with each other and life would be good. If we can get to that point, that would be great. We just need to get rid of all the fucking evangelicals. Yep. And Catholics and... Uh, I don't mean getting rid of the people, getting rid of the religion. I want to make sure that's clear, but not in any forceful way. <laughs> Here's your shovel. Keep digging. And the Secular Democrats of America Political Action Committee uh, has a 28-page document that they've gotten. You mean a manifesto? Jeez. <laughs> that has gotten the support of Representatives Jamie Raskin and Jared Huffman, the co-chairs and co-founders of the Congressional Free Thought Caucus, that will be delivered to the Biden administration on their way in. Nice. Uh, interestingly, 
the Secular Democrats of America's acronyms SDA, not to be confused with Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> There's already a lobbying group by the acronym of SDA on Capitol Hill. <laughs> every acronym's been taken. So many lobbying groups. Uh, so they have a bunch of, of policy recommendations. Um, a lot of these are going to be familiar from conversations we've had on the podcast with um, Nick Fish from American Atheist and Casey Brink from Secular Coalition for America. Uh, it's it's to push back on the Christian nationalist movement. It's to uh, try to fix the court issues, try to reframe patriotism in more inclusive ways, uh, encouraging politicians to avoid terms like God and country, uh, trying to get non-theistic and humanistic chaplains in the military, more non-religious representatives at interfaith gatherings, and going back to e pluribus unum instead of in God we trust. That would be so awesome. It is very much a push for changing the dialogue. Yeah. It's not about change, like forcing anybody to change their minds on anything. This is about trying to change the dialogue to make the country more inclusive to secularists and take away ammunition that Christian nationalists use. Because every time God shows up in the Democratic Party uh, platform... And every time a Barack Obama or Joe Biden says, and God bless America, Christian nationalists cheer. That's proof to them that even the Democrats agree. Yep. And it gets old. Real old, real fast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, I watched Biden's uh, accept, uh, um, victory speech, and a lot of it was great. And then he got all religious-y, and that wasn't great. The Supreme Court, which currently has the ideological fulcrum point being Neil Gorsuch. <laughs> uh, That's yeah. not a seesaw you want to be on. No, 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 no. At least seems to have settled on something being settled precedent. The case brought before them, or not actually brought before them, the appeal to them that was denied was the case of Box versus Henderson. In this case, Indiana changed their rules to not allow same-sex spouses to be listed on birth certificates the same way that opposite-sex spouses are. Meaning, with a lesbian couple, only the person giving birth can be listed on the birth certificate. That person's Even though there is, can't obviously, be. a spouse, other, parent. Which, what's really stupid about this one is when you look at the way birth certificate laws are written, at least this is the case in Idaho's, with Idaho's, it doesn't ask who the child's father is. It asks who the mother's husband is. Yeah. So the spouse, not, who's going who's gonna to be there to help raise the kid? Yeah. That's, the, that's really the question it's asking is, and- And anybody who's ever had an abusive parent, uh, sighs in relief- <laughs> And so that even with that that framework, the way it's set up, it doesn't it already isn't those laws aren't written around biology. It's still about the spousal relationship. But they they want to turn it into they want to turn it into something that it hasn't been for. Well, for as long as there have been birth certificates, which aren't that old of a thing anyway. Uh, 20th century invention. (laughs) And so. Yeah, so this case, um, it, it went through local courts, it went through appeals courts. This has been drug out for years, 
Like the the Seventh Circuit Court didn't rule on this case until after the Supreme Court had handled an identical identical case from Arkansas in 2017. <laughs> so it's done. It's been done. Yeah, it's been ruled on. So in Time 20 to drop it. Yeah, in 2017, the ruling was, we're serious. Marriage equality means marriage equality. Don't try to whittle this away. And with this one, they couldn't even get four justices to say, no, let's, let's try to whittle this away a little bit. <laughs> so that's, that's encouraging. Now, for the almost exact opposite, <laughs> Hungary just passed a new law banning same-sex couples from adopting children. Because fuck those orphans. Yep. What had been happening was the adoption was something where it needed to be a married couple adopting a child or a single close relative. Okay. That started getting loosened a little bit and same-sex couples were adopting children. Uh, Hungary doesn't have same-sex marriage, so it would be one person in the couple adopting the child. The couple couldn't do it together. Well, this new law put forth by... Prime Minister Viktor Orban, the right-wing, getting pretty close to dictator in his 10 years in power, Ouch. president of Hungary, yep. uh, has, it declares that family is based on marriage and the parent-child relationship. The mother is a woman, the father is a man. The rule now is that only married couples can adopt a child. Any exceptions require explicit approval from the government. So in the case of a close family member who is single, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> and they even went as far in this to, quote, Hungary defends the right of children to identify with their birth gender and ensures their upbringing based on our nation's constitutional identity and values based on our Christian culture. Oh, gross. I love how they frame that. Like, kids are being regenderified by force. Yeah. I've never actually heard of it happening. I suppose it could happen. Um, but no, that's not that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Yeah, it's 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 a non thing. But he doesn't want even the possibility of that. Yep, no. The it's... expectation and I'm sure any single person trying to get government approval to adopt a child would have to conf conf uh, affirm to raising that child as a conservative Christian. Yeah, of the gender that they were born with. Yes. Uh, the EU is, because Hungary is a part of the EU, and Poland has just done some anti-gay lockdowns as well as uh, banning abortion. Um, Boo. The EU is trying to negotiate with these countries. To They know that if they try to pressure them too hard to be modern liberal demo uh, European democracies, that they'll just veto the EU's budget. Because everything with the EU can be vetoed by any member. Yeah. I don't know. At that point, you'd almost want them just to leave the EU. <laughs> and be right in the arms of Mother Russia. Yep. All according to plan. Right, Putin. Putin on the Ritz. <laughs> uh, Putin loves conservative forms of anything because it creates a stark contrast to liberal secular democracies. And the sphere of countries around his border that used to be a part of the USSR and used to be a part of the Russian Empire, in his mind, have all been seduced by liberal secular democracies, and he wants to get them pushed back. Right. <sighs> oh, hungry. All right, so we got a couple of local stories. Ammon Bundy has been assembling 
dozens of people at a Emmett warehouse. I'm assuming probably the same one where he held his disappointing to Hemley attended anti-COVID lockdown Easter uh, <laughs> service uh, to for training and meetings for their people's rights group. This is a group who is actively involved in protests against COVID restrictions. Um, and by people's rights, it's literally people's rights to not follow government mandates around COVID-19. That is literally what it is. Yeah. Um, and on on last Thursday's meeting, there were references to escalation of, of conflict, needing to prepare, quote, before the world comes to an end, Ugh. end quote. Uh, there was a text message before the meeting that they need to prepare for, quote, the force that is evident to come upon us, end quote. What does that even mean? What is that? Well, at least one member of the group a couple days before that had been arrested for disturbing the peace while protesting outside the home of one of the Central District Health Board members. Oh, yeah. The infamous. Yeah. The, the armed mob outside of her home with her children in it. Yeah. 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 Loud armed mob. Uh, armed and, and again, I'm going to repeat this. A group of people shouting outside of somebody's home with guns is a mob. Not. Not a protest. Yeah. The correct response to a protest is listen or ignore it. The correct response to an armed mob is call the police and run for your life. <laughs> yeah. That should have been squashed. Uh, this group is actively preparing and training for military engagements. Um, particularly with small groups of five to ten people. They are using arming up and training on ham radio use. Yeah, these guys are serious. They're going to attack something. And in their religious discussion around it, um, Bundy quoted in, in one of his lectures um, to only use the violence when it is righteous. Quote, it is never righteous to use it in offense. Right, that's his deal. You never go on the off. You never throw the first punch. You get somebody to punch you first. Right. You take Which over is a government building. You take over government building. To get somebody to punch. You incite a mob outside of somebody's house. You break into um, council mm -hmm. meetings. You do everything you can to get somebody to punch you. And then you let loose your... Who are more than willing to shoot the cops that everybody's trying to, you know, <laughs> figure out. And it's... if I, Part of me... Still wishes that they just would have done that in the first place and avoided this whole thing. But yeah, when most of the cops of your town are a part of this group, there's not much you can do. Uh, no, there. That's actually most of the cops aren't part of this group. Oh, I heard that Emmett police were pretty much. Oh, at least Boise cops aren't. Oh yeah, not the Boise cops. No, they've they got a lot more on their plate. But Emmett is like uh, a trash town. Beautiful river. Yeah. Nice cherries. Yeah. Uh, um. And the Boise Police Department does have a liaison with this group. Um, they have liaisons with most groups who plan protests, but Boise Police also makes a point of trying to not monitor politically motivated groups. Cover their ears. La, 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 uh -huh. la. Um, so, yeah, that's... Yes, there, there have been questions. We have talked about, is Bundy behind all of this? Yes. Yep. He is. And the Freedom Foundation is giving him the money for it. Idaho Freedom Foundation is also involved. Uh, this this next story um, goes into a lot of that. Um, these the protests outside people's homes were 
people's rights. That was the group doing those. Okay. The protests outside of the Central District Health Department in Boise was Idaho Freedom Foundation, Idaho Health Freedom Network, groups like that. Yeah. With several hundred people showing up. Uh, the Central District Health had two meetings that got cut short because the police needed to clear the mob, basically. Yeah. And on the third meeting, the vote was a 3-3 tie. And this vote was on uh, taking the public health advisory for the four counties under their jurisdiction to a public health order that would have instituted a mask mandate and social distancing mandates and encouraging, much more strongly encouraging businesses to offer delivery and um, curbside pickup and stuff like that. Closing uh, the bar, not closing bars, but closing the bar at the bar and dance floors, and all of those things. Most of this is already in effect in Ada County and Valley County, so two of the four counties. Boise County and Elmore County don't have those rules, but outside of Boise, it would have been a strengthening of the... Actually, I think outside of Boise and McCall, it would have been a strengthening of the rules across the entire district. Um, The chair can break ties and chose not to. She chose to let the motion fail. Yeah. in the the way the vote went down, Boise County's member voted against. Valley County's member voted against. Elmore County's member voted against. Ada County, because it has like 90% of the population of these four counties, has three members. Okay. They all three voted for. Okay. There you go. When you have to fear for your life and property, you... Uh... Yeah. Um, the people voting against, yes, they cited the protests. It uh, works. The angry, Show up with a gun. angry complaints they were getting, threats to their lives, and also a concern that an order would piss people off and make some people not comply that might with an advisory. If they're not complying by now, they're not going to. <laughs> the problem is they can't enforce it. Uh, the other... The the one other point they had on that was not wanting to push people that are on the line over to the anti-mitigation side right before they can get vaccinated. It's just ridiculous. They're being held <sighs> really hostage is. by these people and our government is rolling over for it. Yep. Should show up with vaccines with guns. And this is all happening while, while our You want to hospital- take a vaccine? Okay, we're going to protest outside your house and threaten <laughs> you until you get one. And all this is happening be fun. while our... Our hospitals are on the verge of collapse. Yeah, but that's fake news. Or it's unrelated to COVID. Oh my God, these people are just... Well, I, I, I went into work for the first time in five months, I think. Yeah. And I was there for two hours. In that time span, while working on being there to talk to the vendor about COVID testing we're going to be bringing online very, very soon. Um, I took some paper to the shredding bins and on my way back had to follow a corpse getting taken to the morgue. By the precautions that people were wearing pushing the patient, I'm pretty sure that was a COVID patient. Yeah. Yeah. People are dying. It is real. It is not fake. Almost 300,000 people now? Yep. All right. Uh, Welcome to America. I also got to see a number on the wall while I was walking into the hospital that uh, the that particular hospital has already had a thousand COVID patients released to home so far. I have never seen a number from the hospitals to how many have died there. 
they can. They talk about recoveries. They don't talk about how many have died. You you have to get that from the state. Yeah. And yeah. It's scary and depressing. It is. Uh, on some encouraging news, a September uh, Pew research poll on how many people would take the COVID vaccine found 51% would get it. A November study had a number of 60% being willing to get the vaccine. So it went up. Cool. Good. Um, the yeah, 49% said that they definitely or probably won't get the vaccine. So basically everybody's either for or against. But they did find that almost half of the group who said they would definitely or probably not get it said that they would change their mind if more information becomes available. Only 21% said that they won't get the vaccine and they're pretty sure that nothing will change their mind. Well, okay. That's typical. According to Dr. Fauci, we're probably going to need 75 to 85% of the vaccine of the population to get vaccinated to stop the pandemic. Okay. So I have friends who have guns. If only 21% of people don't get it, we will probably be okay. And there is more information constantly being released about yep. these vaccines that is comforting. Right. Because, okay, back in September, there was a Everybody lot of, was skeptical. There was a lot of skepticism, but is the government, is Trump going to rush this for the election? And now that they're getting, we've got two vaccines that have gotten FDA approval. Uh, they're getting approval in Britain. They're getting EU approval. This is getting really encouraging. Multiple governmental bodies are reviewing these vaccines and saying that they are safe and effective. That should help make more people more comfortable. Yeah. One interesting proposal on how to encourage vaccination is from Representative John Delaney, Democrat from Maryland, who is proposing a bill that would give people a $1,500 stimulus check if they get vaccinated. Yeah, pass that shit. We didn't get the, the, the promised stimulus before, so let's get this one. Yeah. Um, this would cost a lot of money. It would cost more than the, the only round of stimulus checks that has happened. <laughs> uh, but if it stopped the, if it's what it takes to get us to that 80% threshold, if that's what's needed, then that sounds well worth it. Yeah. Plus it rewards people for doing the right thing at a time where it seems <laughs> like the people doing the wrong thing mm -hmm. is getting the rewards yeah uh and in uh oklahoma governor kevin stitt um well his plan to deal with covid is faith or is fasting and prayer oh that's that's even worse than uh lieutenant governor mcgeechan's decontamination cube yep yeah yeah he's he's encouraging people to just pray about it he has he's refusing to do any kind of mask mandates he's refusing to do you know basically anything and uh god it's a nice reminder that idaho isn't the worst right right we, we it's aren't. bad everywhere it, we're yeah that that shouldn't be comforting but it is <laughs> after what we've already talked about today it's like yeah. okay we're not alone in this the, the thing that we have that's different is a group of armed idiots that are spreading to the other states yeah yeah showing up in montana now um but governor stitt uh is getting flack from religious leaders even uh, a statement from the reverend shannon fleck executive director for the oklahoma conference of churches um said quote prayer should be accompanied by a willingness to act telling him to pray quote about what will happen to us if you don't <laughs> Be brave and show all of Oklahoma that 
your moves towards a show of holiness are not hollow words on a proclamation. Yes. So yeah. stop sending thoughts and prayers. Yep. Yeah. So we've been saying that for years. Yeah. Stop with the thoughts and prayers. Put on a goddamn mask. Or don't leave your home. Right. <laughs> we just don't want to see you anywhere. Oh, oh. So like for at, at work now, to be in the hospital working, you have to wear a mask at all times. It used to be earlier that you only had to wear a mask if you were in a hallway or a common space or in a shared working space. But if you were in a private office with a door that closes, you could take off your mask. It's now, if you are in the building, you must be wearing a mask. I would much rather be home and not have to wear a mask. While I was there, I wore a mask the whole time because that's the right thing to do. It just wreaked havoc on your beard. It combed out. (laughs) He's been putting beard oil in his beard. (laughs) Very shiny. But it's right. If you can be home, you don't need to worry about it. And that's great. Yeah. But if you're going to go out, yeah, just wear a freaking mask. All right. We have feedback. Uh, we got a message on Facebook from Jay Lynn. She wrote, quote, you guys finally guilted me into feedback asking for it every week. Booyah. Okay. So I found your podcast about a month ago and... I can just say I fucking love you guys. As a born and raised Idaho girl, it is so refreshing to hear voices of reason. Lauren's intro warning makes me literally laugh out loud every damn time. Hoo-haws. My sister-in-law is married to an evangelical pastor in Twin Falls, and my husband and I make a point to watch his sermons every week. We call it Bigotry Sunday. (laughs) And adding your podcast into my weekly routine has definitely improved my sanity and hope for the world. As a biochemistry grad who's certified to teach six to 12 science you can only listen to your bigoted brother-in-law spew so much nonsense the virus being a hoax that will end after the election the earth being six thousand years old (laughs) the normalization of homosexuality causing the downfall of society abortion is murder and any pastor who's pro-choice is not an authentic christian i wish i had the faith that abraham did and that if god asked me to kill my daughter that i would be dedicated enough to wake up early. He said no. that one in front of his 11-year-old daughter, mind you. The list of bullshit out of this man's mouth is nauseating, and it goes on and on. But then I get a breath of fresh air when your podcast posts. Thank God for Atheist Nomads. Seriously, though, keep up the fantastic work. Hope to hear more about the new chapter of the Satanic Temple here in Idaho if you have a chance at some point. Hail thyself. Nice. That was such a nice thing to hear. Um, sometimes it just does feel like you're just speaking to the void when you're looking at the news and to hear that somebody gets it and, you know, there's some camaraderie with that. Um, it's not limited to just people here in Idaho. It's just, if you're just stuck in that red zone in that the people around you just don't seem to be listening to logic or reason or science, you start to feel really isolated and Podcasts are a fantastic way mm-hmm. to break out of that. Well, and and I look at the these stats. Uh, most of our down, downloads come from liberal areas, which isn't surprising. No, the but like only eighty percent come from the U.S. Less than eighty percent are from the U.S. We have a surprising number of listeners in Europe. We have listeners in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and people in South America, Central America, the Caribbean, like almost every country. There are people who download this podcast. There are people living in places who download this podcast who could get executed for listening to this. Tor. Is that still a thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is very much a thing. 
Uh, it is easy to think that we have it worse here than everywhere else. And there are people listening for whom hearing about how bad it is here is a breath of fresh air for what they have at home. The white people problems. Yeah. But for me, part of it is the frustration that the, the U.S. was supposed to be the beacon of hope and liberty and secularism for the world. And we are failing. No, terribly. And we need to do better. And yes. we can do better. And the freaking New Zealand is over there just being like, la da we're so cool. Eating their meat pies and- Their delicious, delicious meat pies. Teaching their children the Maori language and- <sighs> Anyway, yes. Um, no, it, 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 I, I, would, I would hate to be in Twin Falls. Um, it smells. <laughs> That's mostly Jerome, though, the neighboring town with all the dairy. Um, Twin Falls, at least they have a college. At least it's a college yeah. town. Got that going for you. Shoshone Falls. Amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you ever, uh, once this COVID thing lifts up, you never need to jump on over to Boise and say hi. You know, yeah. we're, we're open for that uh, someday. And for those of you who aren't all that familiar with Twin Falls, that's where most Chobani yogurt comes from and Orida potatoes. Sweet. Not sweet potatoes. I mean. Right. Regular potatoes. Regular russets. Yeah. Good old bland russet. Yep. All right, well, uh, if you want to support the show, you can find out how at atheistnomads.com slash donate. And if you want to contact us, you can use the contact form or the speak pipe button or hit us up on social media or carrier pigeon. Yeah, I'll accept a carrier pigeon. Raven. Definitely a raven. I'll feed it meat. Dragon breath. Uh, <laughs> We've been watching My Little Pony. Ugh. We have a three-year-old girl. Of course we are. <laughs> We are watching My Little Pony. <laughs> she just happens to be in she the room. She really likes it, though. This third no. time around. This time she likes it. All right. Thank you. So that wraps it up for this week. Uh, remember the live stream on Sunday. And uh, until then and next time, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Thank you for listening to another episode of Atheist Nomads. You can find show notes and contact information at atheistnomads.com. Follow us on Twitter at Atheist Nomads and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash atheistnomads. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review. The music is courtesy of Sturdy Fred. Until next time, this has been the Atheist Nomads.